come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. <laughs> Damn, son, where'd you find this podcast? Damn, son, where'd you find this podcast? And welcome back to the podcast from outer space. We're cracking into a cold one tonight, boys. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock, a.k.a. Teabag, in the studio tonight. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Nistrovia, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> what the fuck does that mean? Isn't that hello in Russian? I don't think that means hello. I think that means listen to our podcast. <laughs> we should have translated that. Well, without further ado, it's episode 72. And as I said, we will be getting into a cold one tonight as we discuss the Dietlov Pass, everybody. Yeah, now this week we got a little whodunit for you. Or technically, I guess this could be a what done it, because from what I gather, nobody really knows what the fuck is going on with this one, uh, and we still got no clue. And this is another heavy listener request, you know, because people have been asking us about this one since I believe we started this podcast, um, but shout out to Loyal Legion member John for the final push here. He uh, he actually hit us up, said, hey. You know, gotta hear you covering Dietlov Pass. And, you know, disclaimer right here, this one gets a little freaking creepy, guys. So uh, for optimal listening, make sure you're in a dark place. Pull the covers over your head. Maybe light some candles. Get under a bed. Uh, <laughs> closet, you know. Maybe you got a favorite cupboard. A basement. Whether it's Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, you know, just wherever you listen to your podcast. And also... Ryan's into some weird shit in case you didn't pick that up. And why the hell not? Let's go ahead and pause and you're going to want to get inebriated as possible. Drug if, of your choice. If you're not already because of the quarantine. Yes. And this one is going to have the potential to freak you right the fuck out, if I'm being honest. Now, you guys heard of this one? I had never heard of this one before. I'm not going to lie. But I, John, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I enjoyed researching this one. Found out some interesting stuff. You know, this is one that's right up my alley. (laughs) Loves the Russians. (laughs) You know, uh, I'm in the same boat as Teabag here. I hadn't really uh, heard of this one. Okay. Now, also, um, you know, it's no secret we're all three Eagle Scouts here. This is this is this Eagle Scout knowledge finally going to pay off. You know, cold weather hiking, everything we learned, maybe can help us. Eighteen years. Yeah, it might be able to help us crack this case. Are we going on the trek ourselves? Hey, we might. <laughs> so just to, let's just kind of set the background, you know. So here we go. Think real creepy. Nine experienced hikers, hardened by the Iron Curtain of Mother Russia, set out on a journey of epic proportions to reach the peak of Olderton Mountain in the northern Ural region of Soviet Russia. Did they do it for fame? Hell, maybe. But one thing is certain. These were true outdoorsmen, a cohesive unit experienced in long ski tours and mountain expeditions. In January of 1959, this party entered the wilderness and would never 
return. When their bodies were eventually found, the mysteries surrounding how these hikers perished left investigators horrified and baffled. Some were missing eyes, another body had no tongue, many of the bodies seemed to have been struck by a force comparable to a speeding car. And since the occurrence of this event back in 1959, no one has been able to make sense of it. Submitted for approval of the Loyal Legion, we call this one the Tale of Dietlav Pass. How was that? Why'd you go Russian on only the Dietlav part? Now, honestly, I can't do a good Russian, and I'm going to need your guys' help because some of these names are insane. And I mean, Teabag, you know, as a Polak, you're basically a Russian. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys... You guys are pretty much neighbors. Yeah, you're right there. I mean, hell, for all we know, you could even be a Russian. Oh, I'm here to spy on the podcast. <laughs> and, you know, they eat like potatoes, pierogies. I've had you cook me some of that stuff. Russian food, no different. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. You're sounding like the Russian here. So, as I said, you know, disclaimer, these names are going to be butchered to all hell. Um, so maybe you guys can help me out here. Now let's get into the group because um, I want to kind of go through the group, you know, just give you a little highlight reel of these guys and kind of humanize this group because I, as I was doing research, you know, I'm looking at these horrible pictures of the bodies and stuff. And I think a lot of people get lost in the weeds of this one of like, hey, what the hell happened? And, you know, we tend to forget that, hey, these were nine uh, you know, daughters and sons, brothers and sisters. These were nine human beings here, and, and they lost their lives, and it's a tragic event. Um, so, you know, pour one out for these guys, and let's get into it. So um, the group consisted of eight men, two women. Uh, most of the students were graduates of Yuri Polytechnical Institute. Try to get myself a T-shirt of that. It doesn't exist. Yeah, now that's UPI for short. UPI isn't that the uh, late night TV commercial school? I think you're thinking of UTI. No, I'm pretty sure that's a urinary tract infection. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, not. I don't think it's either Same of result. those. Same result. Neither of those. This is Yuri Polytechnical <laughs> Institute. This is a very prestigious, very classy Russian institute. This is like the Notre Dame of Russia. You know? <laughs> yeah, and it's very fucking surprising. <laughs> or no, that they what's... don't even have merch. What's a good, like, engineering school? Texas A&M? No. <laughs> well, Virginia a, Tech? Polytechnical? Okay, That's Tech. That's literally what okay. Virginia Tech's full name is. Okay, <laughs> there we go. It's like the Virginia Tech, uh, you know, one of these guys could have been the next Mike Vick. Could have been. <laughs> <laughs> so, first up, we got Yuri Yudin. Now, this guy, um, he was actually the... I guess, you know, 10th member of the group. He, he fell sick a few days in and had to return. So he avoided the fate of his peers. And he is technically the only survivor, although he wasn't on the full expedition. Mm. Now, Keep next, your eye on this guy, though, because he plays into one of my theories. Okay. T-Bag's got a theory. So uh, next up, another Yuri, uh, Yuri Doroshenko. Um, now this guy... Famous for in the school's hiking club for having run at a bear with a geologist hammer <laughs> while they were on a camping trip. So, uh, you know, this guy obviously has no fear. Nicknamed um, him the hammer after that. 
Yeah, the geologist hammer was actually just his dick. <laughs> he ran at the bear dick out. Uh, now, next up, we got Ludmila Dubinina. Uh, she was the youngest of the Dietlov group at age 20. Uh, now, again, considerable mountaineering experience was had on her part. Uh, during a hike she went on in 1957, she was accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter who was with the students. And she just, you know, had to suck it up and, and go back. And it, this was a long, painful, lengthy ordeal for her. So, you know, this is one tough uh, ruski here. And after that, she never went hiking with uh, Dick Cheney ever again. <laughs> yeah, she was hiking with either uh, she was hiking with Dick Cheney or Palaxico. <laughs> she was hiking with Palaxico and or Lil Wayne. Ended up getting shot, and all she was trying to do was experience the hammer. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> next up, we got Alexander Kolvatov. This guy was actually celebrated his 24th birthday on January 30th, which was um, during this trek. Uh, we also have Zina Kolmogorova. <laughs> she was age 22. Uh, and again, these tough-ass Ruski bitches here. She was on a trip, and she was bitten by a viper on an intermediate-level uh, second-category hike, and despite the pain of being bit by a viper, she refused to lighten her load on the trek because she didn't want to cause hardship to others. So basically, uh, if you're trying to become an experienced hiker in Russia, get shot at and getting bit by snakes takes you to that next level. <laughs> well, that's only level two. So uh, you got to die to get to level three. Now, Jesus next up, <laughs> so next up, we got another Yuri. Very popular name in Russia. Um, this is. Uh, Yuri Krivonshenko, age 23. Um, now, this another interesting fact that could play into some theories later. He was actually a graduate, um, and he was working at Cheselbinsk 40, which was a secret nuclear facility that experienced a disaster that became known as Kishchum Disaster. On September 29th, 1957, when a plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak. Now, Yuri was among one of the people who was sent to clean it up. Uh, this guy was also described as life of the party. You know, he's cracking jokes. He's playing his mandolin. And he is singing this song very loudly. This was one of his uh, favorite songs. Um, we'll play a little clip for you here. I love you, now, that was by Mark Brenes. Uh, this guy was known as the Soviet Sinatra. Um, so, you know, check that out. Uh, now, next up, we got Rustin Slobodin, age 23. Um, this guy's super athletic. He was a long-distance runner. Um, and then we got... Nikolai Thibault Brignole. Sounds uh, French. <laughs> yeah, I think this guy was a little French or something. Uh, age 23. This was another graduate. Um, he had a bunch of hiking experience under his belt. And 23 was the age for him. Yep. And <laughs> he would not live past 23. Now, next up, we got the only outsider. This was the only gentleman who was not friends with this group prior to the expedition. 
This was Semyon Zolotorov. Uh, he was aged 38. Who He actually died on his 38th birthday. Nice. So, you <laughs> Happy know, birthday. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, man. Pour one out for this guy. It's a fucking birthday. Uh, now, he was the oldest and most mysterious member of the group. Um, as, so this is like the old guy coming to the party, hanging out. Yeah, basically, you know, With this the guy creepy mustache. Yeah, he was single, which was, I guess, odd at the time in Russia for being that age, and he had tattoos. This was also very odd for that time in Russia. So if I lived in Russia, I'd be odd. That's great. Well, yeah, it's wherever not, you live, you're gonna be odd. Yeah, it's the '50s, dude. It's not like today where <laughs> tattoos are commonplace. You know, tattoos were for criminals and and degenerates and outsiders. You Just know, the old single yep, guy yeah. with tattoos. Very <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Don't forget to bring all the beers. Now, some of his tattoos were described as uh, check this out. So, a five pointed star, classic, uh, beats heart fire, whatever the hell that is. That's like the him logo. <laughs> yeah. Hardogram. Big him fan. Yeah, this is the original Bam Margera. And he also had the word Dermaru Arzuaya. Um, until this day, this remains untranslated into any known language. Please say that again. You sound like a dog with like a a ball in its mouth trying to bark. Hey, that's this guy's Speak tattoo. Boy. Who the fuck knows what that means? Maybe he just thought it looked cool. Now, most of his tattoos were uh, covered by his clothing. So the group, you know, they didn't really know anything about him. How do you know? Maybe he was showing it off to old Ludmilla. Well. Maybe she likes the ink. Speaking of Ludmilla. We know she likes the hammer. So <laughs> the Yitlav group members, they don't know anything about this guy. Um, however, it seems during the trek that the students seem to have kind of accepted him into their uh, little hiking group. Um, and they, they seem to have bonded with Zolotoryov. Um, on January 23rd, Ludmilla wrote this in her diary. At first, no one wanted him in the group because he's complete stranger. Then we got over it and he's coming. We couldn't just refuse to take him. So finally, we got the fearless leader, Mr. Igor Dyatlov himself. Now, obviously, this is what the whole incident uh, became known as. It's named after this guy, leader of the hike, uh, age 23, hell of an engineer, was studying radio engineering, um, very actively involved in mountaineering. Uh, you know, this guy was a real stand-up guy. A lot of people go to school for seven years. <laughs> so, um, now... The journey begins, and I know what you're thinking. You know, if you didn't know anything about this and you hear the kind of overview of the story, oh, hey, bunch of crazy college kids getting all hopped up on uh, PCP in the woods. Uh, PCP—that's <laughs> the first thing you get. No, no, you know, they're getting hopped up on drugs. They're drinking. They're boozing. They're poppers, having fun. Downers, poppers. Yeah, spinners. This is, this is Russia. You know, they're partying. They're having a good time. They're hiking in the woods. Something's bound to go wrong. This is a booze-induced, uh, drug-fueled accident, right? I mean, when if you're saying that they're all experienced, which in this case is being shot at or snake bitten, then. You'd think maybe they weren't doing that. Like we said up top, true outdoorsmen, you know, uh, they didn't pack any booze aside from a small medicinal flask. Um, they swore off cigarettes. Uh, mm. You know, this wasn't a vacation. This wasn't a party for them. This was a mission. Uh, all of them, all 
eight men and two women were experienced outdoorsmen um, who held a grade two hiker certification. Now, is that similar to a grade 10? No, no, it is not. I believe this is harder to acquire than a grade two. As we heard, you know, they've been shot at, <laughs> bit by vipers, uh, and there's three grades in Russia at the time, one, two, three. Uh, and I guess, you know, one's beginner, two's intermediate, three is kind of the, the highest level you can get. And, you know, it's not like these kids were from the slums or the, like, when you think of 1950s Russia, what do you guys think of? Communism. Communism. Okay. <laughs> like, it's not like these kids were from the, the slums and ghettos of Russia. You know, th- these were middle-class college students. Uh, they were educated kids. Um, some of them held jobs at chemicals facilities. Um, others had respectable jobs. So when they vanished, you know, people are going to go looking for them. A couple of suburban Yuris go missing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Uh, you know, so the journey itself, the original journey, expected to take 14 days. Uh, and as we said, this would qualify them for a grade three status, which is the highest possible certification at the time. Now, the timeline that we know of is as follows. Would you say these guys are just dying to get their grade three? Okay. <laughs> Let's not be too crass here. So... This timeline was cobbled together from uh, diaries, that sort of thing. Cobbled? You're a cobbler now? Yeah. So, you know, January 23rd, the group, uh, all 10 of them, takes a train number 45 from Sverdlovsk to the city of Serov. Uh, Now, January 24th, um, the group, still 10 of them, arrives in Serov in the morning. And January 25th, the group, still 10 arrive by train, the number 81 in Invdel, and take a bus to Vizay. Love these names. Now, January 26, a truck takes the group to a logging community called District 41. And on January 27th, the group hires a sled for a 14-mile journey to North 2, which was an abandoned mining settlement. They're running the Iditarod out of there now? Yep. You know, this is this is Russia. This is damn near close to Siberia. So, you know, it's it's getting crazy out there. Now, January 28th, this is when uh, the first Yuri, Yuri Yudin, uh, he goes back with a sled due to um, poor health. Now, I was reading up, I guess it was either sciatica or rheumatoid, uh, which is like joint pain, swelling of his joints, you know. Um, That's what I had heard, too. Yeah, now, so now the group consists of nine members, uh, and they spend the night on the banks of the Lozva River. Now, January 29th, the group on skis make their way from Lozva to Ospia River, uh, where they spend the night. And on January 30th, the group pitched their tent on the banks of the Ospia River. Hell of a place to pitch a tent. If you can get it up in this weather, go for it. Now, January 31st, the group reached what is basically the point of no return. As they entered the valley that marked their approach of what would eventually become known as Dietlov Pass. So they stashed some of their gear, some of the food that they need for the return trip. And the following morning, February 1st, they begin their ascent, hoping to push over the pass and set up camp. However, they get a late start. Uh, They experience bad weather, decreased visibility. This causes them to lose their sense of direction. 
Um, so they go about 500 meters, a little over a thousand feet off their planned route. Uh, they accidentally head west, and eventually they figure, hell, we got to pitch our tent on the north slope of a mountain named Colat Saikal. Now, a thousand feet, that's not too far off. Am I correct? I mean, I guess not, but it's still like, so they're going through a pass. So when they go to the left, they're going like up the face of a yeah, mountain. Yeah, so it would have like been through the valley. Yeah, basically. it would have been way crazier. So they were like, all right, we, we this ain't right. We shouldn't be going up, you know? So uh, they we said, damn, Ivan, you crazy for that one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they were like, hey, Igor, we got to fucking, we got to do something. So they, Igor, Ivan, what's the difference? Okay, come on. <laughs> so, my bad. So they're on the north slope of this mountain named uh, Colat Saikal. Uh, now, by this was named. This is an indigenous Mansi tribesman name, uh, which translates to "Mountain of the Dead." So the Mansi tribe is basically uh, indigenous people that inhabit the Siberian mountains. Yeah, pretty much. They're like uh, now. This isn't like quite Russian Eskimos, basically. Yeah, like yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Now, but this is also like not quite Siberia, but it's it's it borders on Siberia. It's damn close. To yeah. It. Um, so it's named Mountain of the Dead by these people because legend goes that nine Mansi hunters died mysteriously there. Uh, others say they just disappeared altogether. And then I've also found like it's called this because there's a lack of game, of wild game. So it's like not a good hunting ground. So that's where they get the dead mountain name. Mm-hmm. Um, but even Mount He o- Got Game was not filmed on this mountain. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the game didn't record Get Rich or Die Trying on this mountain. There's the, a lack of game here, for yeah. sure. Oh, the game didn't record Get Rich or Die Trying, huh? Did I no, just say pretty, that? Yeah, you did say that. <laughs> Who's the ge- what, name me a game said. album. The documentary. documentary. Yeah, the documentary <laughs> was not recorded here. No game. Now, even Mount Oderton, uh, which was their main objective, this translates to in the Mansi tribe's language as don't go there. <laughs> well, you know, more or less. So, these, so if you figure how 23 year olds are just going to do exactly what you tell them not to do. Right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. so also it's like, that's fun in Russia at the time to just, Hey, let's go to, um, dead mountain of the dead to get to a place called don't go there. That sounds You're like You're telling me you wouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty badass. And it's going to get him grade 3. You know? <laughs> Got to get that grade 3. Got to get that grade 3 um certification. So, grade 3 or die trying. <laughs> so, as opposed to heading to a more protected area, they pick for whatever reason to camp on the mountain's exposed slopes. Now, maybe they didn't want to lose the ground they had covered because, as we said, they didn't want to go straight up this this mountain face. Um, they could have been too cold and too tired, as we said, decreased visibility, the they weather. Just said, fuck it. So they were just like, hell. <laughs> or maybe, you know, they're out to get their grade three. Maybe they were like, hey, let's pinch the tent here because it's going to be like, let's just see if we can do it, you know? That's how I feel every time I pitch a tent. <laughs> yeah. Like they were just like, hey, you know, this is uh, this kind of cool. Maybe it was just a cool area. They figure, hell, uh, we don't want to search for the tree line. Maybe they were just lazy. Also, were they all using one tent? Yes, it was a big, like, canvas military tent, like one I've of seen those. The pics. Yeah. So 
Any whom, as fate would have it, they pitched their shared tent on the slope where they would soon be subject to temperatures as low as minus 10 to minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Yikes. Why don't you translate that to Celsius for all our Ruskies out there? (coughs) Yeah, for all you Ruskies, I guess, what is that? (laughs) Minus 30, give or take? Centigrade? Uh, I think it's a little different. Uh, well, who knows? So why don't you translate it next time, buddy? Uh, <laughs> so, Not so, only is he a lawyer, but he's a weatherman as well now. Yeah, so it was on this very mountainside where all nine of these hikers would meet their demise. Um, and this is, you know, this is truly where the seeds of the mystery are planted because we know what happened up to this point. And from here, uh, it's going to grow into well, a full-on... Yeah, I mean, we know from their diaries, because I think the last diary log was like January 30th. And it said, decided to pitch the tent on the side of the fucking mountain, fuck it. Yeah, and if you look (laughs) at the cameras, they've got pictures of them hiking. They've got pictures of them pitching the tent that they would die in. So we, we do know. We can cobble together what happened up until this point. Okay. But from this night on, we do not fucking know. So they go missing. Now, Dietlov had told his peers back at Ye Old Institute that uh, he'd send them a telegram uh, at the sports club as soon as they, they returned to Vizay. Um, so they were expected back no later than February 12th. But before uh, Yuri Yudin had left, um, Dietlov told him, hey, we're probably going to be a little bit longer. Um, so when the 12th came around and there was no message... This was basically a no thought. They were, uh, you know, it was common for trips like this, expeditions to have a few delays uh, by a day or so. So, you know, eh, they're probably out on the slopes. They got held up. No big deal, right? That's what you'd think. Well, when February 20th rolls around and there was still no communication from the hikers, relatives of the students demanded action. So the head of the institute got a search party together consisting mostly of volunteer students and teachers. And this is where the true horror begins when they find the site. So this volunteer rescue force, they're, they're venturing into Dietlav Pass, and on February 26th, they found the campsite, but no hikers. Now at this point, the army and police investigators are called in to determine what happened to the missing team. So upon arrival at the campsite, the first thing noticed was that the tent had been ripped open and looked nearly destroyed. Upon further examination, the tent was revealed to have been cut open, not ripped, and it was cut open from the inside. Now, most of the team's belongings, including several pairs of shoes, had been left in the tent. The student who found the tent had this to say. Tent was half torn down, covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes have been left behind. Now, footprints were discovered, uh, many of them clearly made by people with uh, no shoes or just socks or a single shoe on their feet. Um, And these tracks lead to the edge of the woods just under a mile away from the camp. Yikes. So now put your detective caps on. Um, what do we think's going on here? You know, what's happening at this point? I mean, you're one of these volunteer guys. You see this. What are we thinking? 
I think like a lot, a lot of people dwell on the whole the tent was ripped from the inside thing. And when I tried to send you guys a link that disproved that theory, what happened? It did not work. None of us were able to access the site. Yeah. And then I was actually having, I had internet problems the rest of that day. What do you think's going on here? What do you think's happening? What do you think they possibly could have been doing? Put your Eagle Scout cap on. Oh, aliens, dude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Automatically? Automatically. Yeah, no question. You're not thinking maybe a Yeti? Sam, I mean, Sam Squatch? <laughs> straight single file I don't see that's so weird too the whole footprints away from the camp they're like calm single file footprints or something like that I think I was reading why would these people leave the tent without shoes and freezing cold weather I don't know well, or you were thinking they were rushing to get out of there <laughs> I mean obviously you cut the tent open something scared you enough that you cut your fucking tent open and then left all of your cold weather gear in the fucking tent. Okay, so you're thinking something scared them. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing, too, though. Do they not have a door on this tent? Oh, no, fuck it. We're just cutting this open. Well, I got got a good theory about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess... We'll get to that later, as we usually do. As you said, like, um, people dwell on the fact that they cut it from the inside. That's, I guess, the big thing, because they did have a door, but it's like... They lash it shut with these like wooden toggles, you know, and leather straps. So the easiest way to get out of a tent that's lashed like that is to cut it. So they're, something they had to get out quick. They're like those shitty tents that they give you at a uh, summer camp, right? I mean, I think they're a uh, yes, the canvas tent, them, yeah, yeah just like that. But yes, you tie them shut to keep the wind and weather out. So the quickest way to get out of there would be to cut it. Or have a Yeti slashing through that bad boy trying to eat you. <laughs> so, this is when things really get fucking weird, when they start finding bodies. So, at the edge of the forest, under a large cedar tree, the investigators find the remains of a small fire, along with the first two bodies. Yuri Krivenshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. Now, the two Yuris. Yep. Two Yuri's now. Yuri two and three. Yeah, Doroshenko had a gr- had a gray foam on his right cheek and a gray liquid coming from his mouth. Now this is a cause for speculations that before death, someone or something was pressing on his chest cavity. Because I guess that's common when that happens. Uh, I forget the scientific term. Um, now, as we said, temperatures well into the uh, negative teens, negative twenties. Uh, on the night of their deaths. However, both... It's going to be a bit breezy out there. and It's going to be partly cloudy. uh, (laughs) Minus 20 degrees. It's going to be a cold one out there, guys. (laughs) Now, both of these bodies were found shoeless and wearing only underwear. And they were laid out. It wasn't like they were huddled around this fire or huddled together for warmth. They were just, boom, boom, laid out. Execution style almost. But no bullet holes. Yeah, no bullet holes. Um, There is a picture of the bodies there. Yeah, now I'm not going to post these pictures on the Instagram because this is brutal stuff. But if you want to look at them, go to uh, believe it is. Let the bodies hit the floor.com. dietlovepass.com. That's actually where I did a lot of the research for this. They've compiled every single thing there is on this case. They upload new articles. 
Um, and they've got all the pictures from the original cameras. They've got the crime scene photos that were released by the Russian government. Um, so they find these bodies, uh, two Yuri's under the tree. Um, so next up, they find the bodies of the fearless leader, Igor Dyatlov. Now his hands were clenched into fists in front of his chest and his jacket was unbuttoned. This is highly unusual for somebody that is freezing to death. Uh, they also find a little bit further up the body of Zina Kolmogorova and Rustam Slobodin. Now, they, all three of these bodies, appear to have died on their way back to the tent from the tree line uh, because they're more or less in a straight line, um, you know, all single file. And the, like Igor's the closest to the cedar, uh, he's about 900 feet from it. Um, then they find Zena, who's about 500 feet from Igor. And then finally they find Rustam, who's about 500 feet further from Zena. And he was only about a half a mile from the tent. Um, so initially, these are the only bodies they found. Um, while circumstances were odd, investigators ruled that the cause of their death was clear. Um, all these hikers had perished from hypothermia. Their bodies showed no indication of severe external damage beyond what had been inflicted by the cold. And this is when uh, like the paradoxical undressing theory comes in because it's common in hypothermia victims uh, to undress because when you experience hypothermia, your like all your body heat goes to your core, so you feel like you're overheating, um, so you undress. So this also explains the state of the first two bodies. But this theory ignores the fact that the bodies were undressed after they died. It was done by other members um, with the help of a knife in some cases. So it seems as if the two Yuris died first um, and the other members were there around the cedar tree uh, and, you know, maybe took their clothes to kind of stay warm. Uh, and there's some more oddities in these bodies. So they start getting them back to the lab, doing the uh, autopsies on them. Now, with the first two guys in their underwear, the two Yuris, um, the branches above them, the cedar tree where they were found, were torn down as if the two men were trying to seek shelter from something or someone by climbing the tree. Or maybe, you know, they had climbed up to look for something like the tent. Uh, forensics later confirmed that traces of skin were found embedded in the bark, indicating that the pair had frantically attempted to climb the tree, snapping off branches until their hands were a mass of pulpy flesh. Uh, and there was even broken branches up to 15 feet high in the tree. So maybe they did climb up it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 15 feet, that's pretty goddamn high. Um, <laughs> now, Captain Chernyashovs, he was one of the army people that was on the initial search, uh, and he gave this statement. It is possible that uh, other people have since been by fire. The trees near fire have been cut with knives, and we found no knives with the bodies. So this is another thing that's weird. Uh, they said that some of these branches were cut with knives, but they didn't find any knives with these bodies. And we'll get more into that later. Um, but, you know, next up, uh, Zena's body had a bruise on her side. Probably from the old hammer. And this is real <laughs> weird because uh, Rustin Slobodin, he had head injuries consistent with someone being hit on the head repeatedly. 
he had a seven inch crack in his skull. And this was not thought to be the fatal wound. Seven inch crack. Not yeah. Fatal. <laughs> not fatal. Um, they are saying that he would have survived after this. Um, it is also reported that Rustum looks as if he fell repeatedly on his face when he was walking down the mountain. And every time he fell, he managed to hit the sides of his head. So this is also fucking weird. Uh, it sounds know, like some spousal abuse, dude. Yeah. And that's also weird because this guy, as we said, you know, long distance runner, this was probably the guy in the best physical shape in the group. So they fled the tent suddenly. Um, they're completely unprepared to journey into the freezing night. Um, despite being experienced hikers, I mean, what do we think is going on here? What's a theory with just these four bodies or with just these five bodies? What do we think is going on? Something scares them. They fucking obviously got scared and cut the tent open, go running out into the night, which is kind of weird that they're just not wearing any clothes. Mm-hmm. Are they having an orgy in there? <laughs> well, this is like... Um, it's fucking minus 20 degrees. You don't think they got some type of clothing on? Well, yeah, they, they had clothing on, just not like what you would want to wear in negative 20 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just a mystery to me because these guys are going for the highest grade in hiking experience in the country. Yeah, but you know in scouts, what do they say? You take off the clothes that you were hiking in all day because of the sweat, and you, you got your skivvies on while you're in there sleeping in the tent. It's not like they're going to sleep fully clothed. In- well, I don't think they're sleeping in there. okay jesus so there's rob's theory orgy gone wrong yeah um so you know they maybe they hear something they tear out of there to the tree line and they're like what the where the fuck are we so what they make a fire to get warm um the two yuris climb the tree and they're like hey we see the camp um maybe rustum was in the tree and fell on his head that's how he got the crack times Uh, I mean, hey, I'm just spouting out theories here. I mean, what the two die and then the others take their clothes and they're like, hey, we got to get back to the tent or we're dead too. And one by one, they, you know, I mean, obviously Rustum made it the furthest, but he still died half a mile from the tent. I mean, what do we think? Like what played out um, with these guys? And also where's the knife? All the knives that they had were reported to have been found in the tent. But well, they there's said obviously something else going on here. But they said some of the branches had been cut with knives. What did somebody maybe make it back to the tent and leave the knife? Like, what do we think is going on there? And then they just came back and died. <laughs> yeah, I'll just gotta go exactly. drop the knife back at the front. That's fucking... part of the mystery. What <laughs> the hell is going my on, boots or my fucking parka? I'm just gonna drop the knife at the tent and come back for you guys. <clears throat> So we're basically agreeing that something had to scare them out of the tent to where they just fucking grabbed their shit and just ran for their lives. Well, obviously something had to scare them. <laughs> something had to make them cut out of the tent. Okay. Something made them climb that tree. Something else cut it with a knife, apparently. All right. So we got five bodies discovered. Now, deep snow and no visible tracks. Um, this halted the search uh, for the remaining four hikers. But by this point, there was little to no hope of finding these fuckers alive. These fuckers. Let's get weird. So, yes, now things get very weird. So, the remaining four bodies were found two months later when the May thaw came. uh, And the weather had cleared up. 
Now, these four bodies were discovered buried under snow in a ravine 75 meters, nearly 200 feet, deeper into the woods past the cedar. This area became known as Dietlav Pass Den. Um, they had dug out a den for shelter, and some were found on makeshift mats um, to keep themselves sheltered from the, the snow. So they're the opposite way from the tent. Uh, now, here's a little picture, which I actually will post on the Instagram. So this shows like where the bodies were found in relation to each other. And this is where they found the final four. And we're not talking about the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. That was canceled. Um, Just like this uh, expedition. So in the den, they find uh, Nikolai Thibault. Uh, who suffered significant skull damage in the moments before his death. Uh, they found Ludmila Dubinina and Simeon Zolotorov. Uh, both had major chest fractures that could only have been caused by an immense force comparable to that of a car crash. However, the soft tissue of their skin was left completely unharmed. Now, the coroner reported that these wounds, especially appearing in such a way without any damage to the soft tissue of the chest, are similar to the type of trauma that results from the shockwave of a bomb. So keep that mm. in mind. That'll play into some of our theories. And additionally, the body of Zolotorov, Zolotoryov uh, was missing his eyeballs and had a camera around his neck. Uh, we can see this in the investigation photos. Uh, Yuri Yurdin did say that basically everybody in the group had a camera. Now, unfortunately, the film in this camera was damaged by water. But, you know, they did still develop the pictures. You can take a look at them on the site that we mentioned earlier. Um, but the question is, so this guy leaves the tent with his camera, no shoes, got to get the cam? Yeah, it's like, dad, dude, got to take that thing everywhere, baby. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's a little crazy. Uh, and now he is also found holding well, a, a... I might call it crazy. He calls it photography. So he's out here just, um, hey, I'd rather just, hey, you know, have my feet freeze off and get Blackfoot like Mr. Deeds, but I'm going to get a goddamn good picture. Yeah. And well, that's like generations that. now, dude. Like the first thing people do instead of going to help is take out their camera. I'm, I, you know, I thought it was a problem with this generation, but apparently it started back in the 50s. Okay, so this guy was the original, <laughs> yeah. like, Instagram model? Yeah. <laughs> he was also found holding a pen in one hand and a small notepad in the other. Upon discovery of the bodies, Colonel Otyukov is said to have grabbed the notepad, looked at it, and said... He's written nothing. So... This old colonel, he seems to be the only one that saw the notepad. Uh, colonel the, Mustard? Yeah. The <laughs> whereabouts of this notepad are unknown, and it was never filed in evidence uh, or seen by anyone else. All he wrote on it was, fuck the police. No, I mean, like, he could have written some crazy shit, but this is like the scene in Starsky and Hutch. Found a wallet. <laughs> yeah, nothing you know, in nothing it. in it. Takes the money, and then, <laughs> like, he's, he's looking on this notepad. I'll... Nothing on notepad I put in pocket. You know, like maybe it had some crazy shit on it. Did you just tough talk a dead body? Um, so also some more crazy shit here. So um, Ludmila Zubinina, uh, she was missing her tongue, eyes, and part of her lips, as well as some facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone. 
Jesus. It is mentioned in her autopsy that her stomach contained about 100 grams of coagulated blood. Now, I guess it's no secret again, I'm not a coroner, but some point this out as indication that her heart was beating and uh, her blood was flowing when the tongue when her tongue was removed. Now, the cause of death is stated as uh, hemorrhage into the right atrium of the heart and multiple fractured ribs and internal bleeding. Same with um, Homeboy. <laughs> Zolotoryov. Uh, so Zina and or Ludmilla and Zolotoryov both died of like internal injuries. And even the uh, Nikolai, uh, he died of like, they said the skull fracture was is likely what killed him. He would have been unconscious for maybe alive for three hours or so and then, then died. Um, now, Alexander Kolvaltov, uh, he is the last body found. He was found in the same location, but without the internal wounds of the other three. So this second group of bodies, um, they were far better dressed for the cold than the first group. Um, but they still all lacked shoes. And there is evidence that the hikers had died at completely different times um, because each one is making use of the clothes of those that died before them. Most mysterious of all, though, the clothes of both Kovaltov and Dubinina showed evidence of being radioactive. And it was only certain articles of clothing they were wearing, not like all their clothing tested was radioactive, just certain items. Now, although Dubinina was wearing the clothes of one of the Yuris found under the cedar tree, that's the piece of clothing. So it originally belonged to one of the Yuris, um, and that, like she took it to stay warm, that was found radioactive. So a little weird here, right? Now, furthermore, at the funerals, relatives described the bodies as having orange or tan skin and gray hair. You met her at a funeral. Now, this could possibly be from the mummification of being out in the elements for nearly three months. That turns your hair gray? Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not a coroner. I'm not a. Uh, You're not? No, I'm not. So, Damn. I mean, I do remember that mummy book we had, though, as kids. It was like about pirates or something, and they found this like ship in the cold, and that guy was mummified, and he looked real tan. Well, he was probably catching a tan out on that fucking pirate ship. Yeah, and I mean, that's also true. Like, these guys were out in the sun, so maybe they did have a bit of a suntan, you know? Went up to Dead Mountain to catch that tan, baby. And now, <laughs> also, according to one investigator, the clothes had to be contaminated by radioactive dust, which fell from the atmosphere. Um, or the clothes were contaminated while working with radioactive, radioactive substances, or via contact with radioactive substances. However, this particular contamination exceeds the normal level of people who would work with radioactive substances. So, you know, a lot of people point to, hey, that guy cleaned up the chemical factory, so this could possibly left over, but the radiation was way too high, and he would have had to not change his clothes for two years. Well, it's Russia, you know. <laughs> in the 50s <laughs> um so you know with Still all, recovering from the war so with all this what are we thinking now so we've got all the bodies recovered we know how they died well, give me like a, a theory like how did events play out they tear out of the tent they make it to the cedar tree uh what are we thinking happens now so far i'm i would guess that 
And this is just me spitballing here from the information that we've laid out for our listeners so far. Something I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say a loud noise, maybe an avalanche, maybe a bomb, maybe a bomb that causes an avalanche. Hell, these guys get spooked. They get scared. I mean, the theory that I honestly want to stick to is that if you look at that picture of the tent, you see that they had a stove so they could cook their food in the tent. Now I'm thinking something happened with that stove in there, starts fucking pouring smoke into their tent, and they're like, holy shit, rip out of there. When they do rip out of there, there's something else out there waiting for them now. Is it a Yeti? Is it the fucking KGB? Is it an alien? None of us really know that, but obviously something scared them enough that they ran from their tent with no fucking protective gear on all the way to the tree line, which is about, what would you say, three quarters of a mile from where their tent was? It's like, uh, no, it was pretty much a mile. And then, you know, from there, who the hell really knows? Were the bodies just laid to look like they were making their way back? I mean... Okay. You even said it yourself. The two Yuris are just laid there. Like, they're not huddled up. They're just fucking mm-hmm. laid out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to say foul play is involved here. There is foul play at hand. Okay, That's so you're theory. so you're saying foul play from the jump. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, so here's, like, so this group found in the den, they survived longer than the others, um, but they died of internal hemorrhaging and blunt force trauma. Like, when did they dig out that den? Maybe they didn't. Or, or yeah, maybe the, uh, like, they all maybe meet at the cedar tree. They're climbing it. The two Yuris die. They take their clothes. Um, they're like, hey, we got to dig out a den. Or maybe they separate and, like, Dietlov digs out the den and kind of helps these other guys get situated and then he's like i, I gotta make a break for the tent that doesn't make sense though um if you're an experienced hiker why would you not just go back to your tent and get some fucking coats i mean boots, whatever yeah, exactly that's what you're we don't have, know oh, let's dig out a fucking den in the snow and just huddle up there i mean that's the mystery rob as we said visibility was low maybe they got totally fucking disoriented or maybe something happened to where something or other i mean something was scaring them so bad that they couldn't go back to the tent but then again the the three bodies were found trying to get back to it allegedly and they were looking for it up in the tree now there's also theories that um the gentleman with the camera um (laughs) along with nikolai they were the first to leave the tent so maybe here they're using the buddy system they're taking a piss and uh, Zolotoryov is like, "Hey, let me snap some pics while I'm out here, or maybe of some your dick. What is no, it like <laughs> this night sky or something? I don't fucking know. Maybe something was out there that he wanted to take pictures of. They went out a and mile then, away from camp. If, no, if no, it's no, twenty I'm, degrees below hey, zero. I'm hopping right outside that tent. And yeah, pissing. that's what I'm saying. Maybe they were right outside the tent. Something scared them two off first. They make a break for it. Maybe the others are like, hey, we got to find these guys. Okay, okay. You know, something like that. I'm just laying out other theories here. I'm tracking. Um, 
also, you know, maybe they got scared out of the tent. They tear out of there. Um, as we said, they get all disoriented. They start a fire at the cedar. Um, maybe some of them split up and they say, hey, we're make, we're going back to the tent. And they were like, fuck you. You know, you're fucking dead. Um, you're never going to make it back. We're digging a den. <clears throat> you know, we don't know what the fuck happened. Now, there's an initial investigation. Um, so investigators, they studied the hikers' diaries, the film in their cameras. Um, as we said, no drugs present. Uh, no drugs found in the system, in their systems during the autopsy. Um, the only alcohol was a small medicinal flask um, found intact in the tent. Medical examiner uh, recorded that there was liver mortis spots on the top surface of the bodies of Doroshenko and uh, Kolmogorova and Slobodin. So this means that the bodies were moved or turned over after their death because I guess these like spots uh, form on the side of the body that has been pressed against the ground. And they were, they were, these spots were found when they were like on the top facing surface of their body. So somebody turned them over after they died. But as we said, they, you know, they took the clothes from the people who died before them. So maybe it could have been that, um, Autopsies revealed that three of the four hikers discovered in the ravine had sustained blunt force trauma injuries, as we said. Uh, the coroner described these injuries as equivalent to being hit by a car. And it was calculated that whatever happened to the group must have taken place after dark and six to eight hours after their last meal. Huh. Now, the Soviet government, they go ahead and they close this case pretty quickly, you know. I mean, this is uh, USSR, you know, Soviet Union. Um, who was in charge at this point? Khrushchev? I honestly don't know the answer to that, buddy. So, yeah, we got, we got Nikita Khrushchev in power. Um, Soviet government's at the helm of this thing. Um, and they, they're just like, hey, case closed. The official statement for closing the case given by Junior Counselor of Justice and Criminal Prosecutor... Lev Ivanov stated this. The deaths of expedition members were due to a series of mistakes by Dyatlov. On 1 February, he began the ascent to the summit at 3 p.m., even though he knew a difficulty of terrain. Furthermore, this was Dyatlov's next mistake. He chose a line 500 meter to left as planned pass that lies between peak 1079 and peak 880. So group found themselves on eastern slope of peak 1079. They used what was left of daylight to ascend the summit in strong winds at a low temperature of minus 25 degrees centigrade. Dietlov find himself in bad conditions for the night, so he decided to pitch tent on the slope of 1079 to start the morning without adding the distance from the forest, minus one kilometer, to the remaining trek about 10 kilometers to summit. So in the end, the hikers' deaths were officially attributed to, quote-unquote, a compelling natural force. And boom, case closed. People were even banned from the area for three years after the incident. That's a mystery. Yeah, now that's the initial investigation. I mean, it's, put yourself in the pictures of these hikers' families. What are you thinking? They say, hey, your son or your daughter's found 
hit by a car, radioactive clothes, and they're just saying, oh, they die of compelling force, case closed. <laughs> you know? Like, what are we thinking here? That's not that's not kosher, am I right? Sounds like bullshit to me. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some of the theories. Um, and, you know, feel free to spout out what you guys think of these theories, what adds up, what doesn't add up. Um, one of the first theories, and this was even put forth, like, by the, the Soviet government, um, so attack by the Mansi tribesmen. Um, so by the second week of the initial investigation, it was suspected that the deaths were a result of an attack by local Mansi tribesmen. Um, this could account for the way the hikers fled the tent in a hurry and maybe the damage that was done to the second group of bodies. Um, there was also a Mansi chum. I guess what this is is like a yurt that they use to like – so they kill a moose and they do these like sacrificial rituals to it in these chums. Uh, and this was found Northeast, uh, from where the Dietlov group pitched their tent on the night of January 30th, a trail leading to the chum was passing 200 feet from where the group camped. Um, it's a nice looking chum. Now, what do we think? I mean, these, these claims are largely false. I guess Mansi people, they're peaceful, they're hospitable. Um, they had no history of attacking visitors, no reason to threaten the group. Uh, and there was no evidence that anyone had been approaching the tent. Um, there was also damage done. The damage done to the hikers' bodies, this exceeded blunt force trauma that one human could inflict on another. I mean, the coroner said this was like comparable to a shockwave of a bomb or a car accident. It wouldn't be from just, you know, squaring up with a Mansi tribesman. <clears throat> and, he, and there was, they had their budget money for the trip found in the tent. Uh, this was close to 2,000 rubles. That's about uh, $240 in 2020. Uh, so, you know, some indigenous Mansi guy, he's going to snatch that up. A lot of quiche. <laughs> so what, what hey, are man, we thinking they're here? they're living off the land, baby. They don't need those rubles. They're fucking sacrificing moose over in their fucking yurts. Okay, so are we saying, you're saying possibly could have been a Mansi? No, I'm saying definitely not. I'm saying that's a fucking easy <laughs> way out. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is classic government. Always want to fucking blame the indigenous people. Yep, take yep. their fucking land and then fucking slap them in the face. Yeah, and say, hey, you know, it was probably these fucking savages out here. Savages, savages. Even oh, remember here. that link I tried to send you guys? Yeah. Okay, so I get the lady. The link is like Sledbana OSS. I guess that's the lady's name that wrote a book about this. Sled and I guess. Svetlana, I don't know, whatever the website was. <laughs> okay. All right, and I guess in her book, she 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 initially claimed that it was Mansi tribe because these are like indigenous oppressed people that were lashing out at Russians, any of them, to try and get back. And uh, she also claimed that the group stole like goods and gold from the Mansi. And but then where would that? Wouldn't that gold have been found? I'm just, oh yeah, but <laughs> we're dealing with the Russian government here. So they maybe just kept it for themselves and said. Maybe. <laughs> <but> I <don't>, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I personally don't think this one adds up. No, I don't either. I'm I, just telling you what I read and what that lady claimed. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. Now, um, this next one, this comes from uh, Rob here. He's got this crazed deer theory. You want to tell us about this, Rob? I honestly just think it's bullshit. I was just throwing another theory in there for you. 
it's basically just saying that uh, you know how they how you said previously they didn't find any tracks leading up to the tent, which kind of disproves the Mansi theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is saying you know maybe these uh, fucking crazy deer came after them, <laughs> scared them out like of Tommy tent. Boy. Yeah, ate their fucking <laughs> eyes out. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when I was, <laughs> is the fucking deer scene in Tommy Boy. So this is like the deer in Eight Crazy Nights? Yeah. Okay. Now, why... Uh, but again, like, when I was reading this theory, it was saying, like, the deer got scared from some military testing bomb, and they, like, ran into the tent. Yeah. But, like, wouldn't they find a deer body somewhere? Dude, that's why I'm saying it's just bullshit. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't buy this theory at all. I just think. And why were the deer throwing, crazy? Why are they are, crazed deer? What makes them crazy? <laughs> they're just like fucking off. They got scared by the bomb, dude. They're going crazy. They don't know what the fuck's <laughs> okay. going on. Okay. They needed a last minute Halloween costume. <laughs> I think um, people are crazy <laughs> Russian deer face. <laughs> <laughs> don't let me in your tent. I'm crazy. <laughs> now, what were you saying? <laughs> I was just saying, I think at this point, people are just, you know, throwing shit at at the wall, seeing what sticks. And this obviously (laughs) ain't sticking. Yeah, there's other theories of, like, animal attack. I was reading one. It was uh, Wolverine theory. Um, The origin story? (laughs) No, this wasn't, like, Logan out there slashing through the tent. Um, This was, like, so Wolverine, like, the actual animal is also, I didn't know this. They're like skunks. They shoot out like uh, like a skunk juice out their ass, just like skunks <laughs> do. I didn't know that Wolverines <laughs> did that. But I guess these, this theory is that like it, it gets caught in the tent and it sprays the fucking shit all over them. And that's why they cut out of the tent because they're like, oh, God. God damn Wolverine. And then they, yeah, they can't go back because this fucking Wolverine spray and this smell in there. And um, Jim Harbaugh got in their fucking tent. And then, you know, I mean, that still doesn't explain like the blunt force trauma shit, but it could explain initially why they went out of the tent. And then this was also interesting because in this theory, it was saying when they bring in the search dogs on the helicopters, they like didn't want to get out of the helicopter. They had to basically drag the dogs out. And people were saying this was possibly because of the stench of the Wolverine smell. So the, mm. even the dogs didn't want to go on Dead Mountain. Yeah. Now, uh, although like there's other wild animal theories, but I guess like none of these really hold up because there was no, there would be tracks, as we said. Um, and, you know, why would a group of experienced outdoorsmen be scared ab- of a wolverine? Yeah. Or abandon their <laughs> only tent. I mean, this, the Cut chick was, out of their tent. Yeah. This chick was bit by a viper and still went on the hike. I don't think they're going to be like, you know, oh my God, a deer and run off or like any other wild animal. They, they, these people would probably would have been fine or known to stay in the tent, you know? Yeah. Homeboy could have always just pull out the hammer on them. yeah he'll just charge him with the hammer like always now there's yeah that actually also you know kind of disproves this this guy charged at a bear with a fucking hammer a geologist hammer that's one of those little tiny hammers now there's also this high winds theory this is as we said these two guys are out there taking a piss they're using the buddy system where they're taking pictures of the sky um and possibly they're blown away by a strong wind um, others are like, Hey, we got to go find them. And, you know, maybe like one by one, they kind of get disoriented or maybe they went in the groups that they were found in. 
Um, well, that'd be old Rustum, right? Getting hit in the face repeatedly. Maybe. Or, or maybe like the people with the blunt force trauma, they get blown away. Um, mm. the, uh, like the other group, the two Yuris go and try to find them and they get lost. They make the fire. They try to find the tent. And then the last three, they try to find them and then maybe, you know, end up succumb to the elements. I mean, who the fuck knows? Am I? But I guess this is improbable because again, experienced hikers, like they probably wouldn't behave like that like and and they wouldn't tear out of there with no shoes on you know and if that if that was the case like if hey one guy gets blown away why would the others cut out of the tent Mm -hmm. you know we gotta save them so what are we thinking with this one bullshit i think it's the most realistic explanation so far but how much weight is it really holding yeah, and is it explaining the skull fractures, the internal hemorrhaging, the missing of the eyes? Um, you know, it, there's a lot of holes. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> All right, next up. This one, I think, is the one that Rob believes in the most. We got the Russian Yeti. Uh, I guess, is this also like Abominable Snowman? That's a similar thing. I think they're relatives. Okay. So some claim that the Russian Yeti is to blame. Um, this could account for the immense force necessary to cause the injuries of the three hikers found in the den. Uh, and also this focuses on the damage to Ludmilla's face. Uh, you know, maybe this guy's like, oh, tasty treat. I eat these eyes and tongue. Jesus Christ. What are we thinking here? Yeti. Now, Yeti proponents, like, I guess Discovery did this whole bullshit documentary that's, like, based on the Yeti, but they use, like, they bend the evidence to kind of fit their narrative. Now, the strongest Yeti evidence is this photo. Uh, This is frame number 17 from Nikolai Thibault's camera. Check that out. Some people say possibly a Yeti creeping creeping up behind him in the woods. I mean, definitely looks like it. Now you're thinking that's a Yeti, not just a guy? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that doesn't look like just a guy to me. And why do we say that? Look at the shape of that thing. Yeah, it looks like a man. What do we what do you Daryl? (laughs) What do you say, T Bag? Yeti or man? I I mean, just looking at this picture alone, it kind of looks like someone was messing around trying to take a picture of their buddy and it got blurry and then they were like, oh, Looks like a Yeti. Let's go fuck with everybody. Yeah, because this was taken like days before they went missing. Um, And you see on other frames of the camera that this one came from, they were kind of like messing around. Um, Just fucking around. Yeah. And again, I mean, like we said, it doesn't really look much like a Yeti, although Rob tends to believe it does. Um, I mean, I could see where it looks like a Yeti, but at the same time. This looks like something we would have done in the backyard on a snowy day and gone and messed with the neighborhood or something. Okay. (laughs) Now, the other strong evidence for the Yeti, I guess, according to the book Mountain of the Dead by Keith McCloskey, um, someone in the group had written on a piece of paper a day or two before the incident, quote unquote, now we know snowmen exist. Mm. Hmm. But, you know, did they write this? Did they not? This is debated. Like, the only piece of evidence that they found with snowmen or Yeti, as mentioned, is uh, this 
Evening Oderton One, which was, I guess, like they were putting together like a satirical propaganda pamphlet. Um, just as like a joke, you know, like sketching out, writing stuff in their diary. They're writing comic books. Yeah, they're writing like a joke (laughs) newspaper. Now nobody- It's like Calvin and Hobbes with all the snowmen. Yeah, and nobody knows what happened to the original copy of this. Like it's not- No one knows a lot about this. Yeah. (laughs) This is similar to uh, Zolotoryov's notepad. Nobody knows what happened to it. Now, so what are we thinking of the Yeti? Probably thinking they wish they had Yukon Cornelius out there with them to fight the snow. <laughs> so you're thinking Yeti might be the most solid explanation thus yeah, far? Yeah, dude. Smashing them around, chasing them up into the tree line. Okay. Finds their fucking fire, stomps them out, stomps on their fucking chest, <laughs> rips their fucking eyeballs out. Takes their knife and puts it back in the tent. <laughs> Very carefully. Does not steal their rubles. Okay. So Yeti maybe. Covers up his tracks. Yeah, yeah. no trace, baby. Yeah. He was probably an eagle scout. <laughs> okay, now that uh, that again, that again. So you know the people that love Bigfoot, love Yetis. What's the always the strongest evidence that Bigfoot or the Yeti is real? Footprints, exactly. A blurry photograph yeah, or a footprint, or either one, or a plaster yeah. cast of a footprint. <laughs> so we've got strange wilderness. We've got no <laughs> footprints. I would say I I'm calling bullshit on the Yeti. I would say this guy knows what he's doing. I don't think he does. I don't think he would have the wherewithal to cover his tracks. Well, how long did it take till they found the people? So they find their tracks, but not his. That's or maybe or issue. again, Russian government saying we need to keep Yeti a secret, <laughs> so we're cover up. Yeah. Hey, what's that big? Shut up. He didn't see anything. <laughs> All right. Kick it out. Kick the snow over it. Boom, it's gone. Now there's also, as we said, you know, avalanche theory. Um, while this is not typical terrain for avalanches, um, the mountain of the dead or where they were camping, you know, you can see from the pictures, it's not a tall, it's not a very tall mountain and the slope they were on is not very steep. Yeah, this ain't Colorado, baby. <clears throat> yeah, now furthermore, the diaries that were recovered reported a fairly thin snow cover. Um, so, you know, given all that, probably not an avalanche, but these don't exclude the possibility of maybe a small avalanche. You know, maybe something like a portion of the upper layer of snow shifted. A slab could have maybe gone over the hikers. Um, this could damage the tent. Maybe they're like, holy fuck, we got to get out of here. We're trapped under a couple feet of snow. They cut out. Trapped like a rat. Um, you know, this could. Trapped uh, under ice. Maybe this is why they, you know, tore out of there with no shoes, um, half undressed. Um, and you know, they're like, holy fuck, maybe it was a small avalanche, but they thought, who knows, this could be a huge one. They fucking run for the tree line. This could also, I mean, avalanche definitely could cause like the internal injuries and Mm. not damage the tissue because it's snow, but it's throwing around, you know, big slabs of ice. T-U-I till I die. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What are we thinking here? Possible. Could be. Seems a little more realistic than the others. Okay. 
I just think if there was an avalanche that scared them out of their tent, wouldn't the tent have eventually been covered in snow if that's what happened? Yeah, that's what some people think. Like the entrance of the tent, when you look at the pictures of like how they found it, it's clearly elevated and like the only the middle portion is collapsed. And this is probably due to like weight of the snow from the weeks where they were missing. Um, and an avalanche probably, as you said, like would have unearthed the whole tent. That one just kind of throws that right out the window for me personally. Yeah. And also like the initial investigators, they said, Hey, no evidence that an avalanche had occurred anytime recently in the region. Um, there was no damage to the tree line, uh, no debris like is common in avalanches, uh, and no avalanches have been recorded after the incident. So there was no avalanches recorded before, none after, um, so probably has never been to dead mountain. So probably not likely. Right. But could explain some things. I mean, what does an avalanche not explain why the tent was left, um, you know, not covered up their tracks were still there and maybe like the radio act, the radioactive stuff found on the clothes. Well, those four bodies got covered in snow, right? Yeah, but that was, again, just build up from, like, snowfall throughout the weeks. It wasn't, like, avalanche snow cover. I know, but just weird that they got covered up, but the other ones weren't as covered, right? Or no? No, yeah, they, they were all covered. The ones in the den, way more because, as we said, it took them till May. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also the Gulag prison. Uh, this one, one is interesting. Yes, one private investigator who spoke to the former servicemen in the area said that hikers could have been killed after being mistaken for escaped prisoners from a local gulag prison camp. Now, just what is a gulag prison camp for those people that are listening that have no idea? Yeah, okay, so maybe like in Siberia, this is gulag country, you know? Uh, and Can we make a shirt? That's- <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if we want to do that. Uh, this is like... This was heavy. Welcome to Siberia. It's gulag country. Yeah, heavy gulag country. um, And, you know, camps were dispersed all over the region at this time. So, um, prison camps. Yeah, yes. And the closest, like, gulags, just like in um, what's the video game? Modern Warfare? You know, just like that. See me in the gulag. Now, the closest (laughs) was Invidelag, which was just a few miles from the site of the incident. Um, however, there was no escapes reported around the time of the tragedy, but that doesn't mean it had never happened before. I guess there's examples of prisoners who kind of escaped and would go into hiding for, for decades at a time up in these mountains. Just a mile away from the camp though. Come on. Hey man, who knows? I mean, furthermore, uh, Yuri Yudin, uh, the one who, managed to survive, who left a few days before the incident, he discovered a piece of clothing that did not belong to any of the members of the group. Uh, this was a obmatic, obmat, obmatki. Uh, this is a wide piece of cloth uh, wrapped around the feet or legs to keep warm. They have a distinct shape and are made from a particular material, uh, and they were widely used among soldiers in the 40s and later among the prisoners of Stalin's concentration camps. Uh, Now, nobody knows how it got there, uh, and it has since disappeared from evidence 
as it always does, as we saw with the notepad and as we saw with the snowman quote. So And the key of cocaine that they had in the tent. What do we think? <laughs> Possibly. Now, with this one, maybe like... So maybe they had some uh, prison guards looking around and they think, oh, who the fuck are these guys? They're escaped gulag prisoners. They fucking beat them to death. And then they're like, oh, shit, these are just some kids. Like, what? what, what how could this one have played out? Shoot first, ask questions later. Yep. So are we thinking this one holds any weight? I mean, in my opinion, this is probably like the most, this one holds the most weight, but it's just odd that there was like no bullet wounds, no Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. soft tissue damage. Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. Uh, Now there's also this, so again, gulag, that's a stretch. We're grasping at straws here. I don't think it's a stretch. I actually think it's the most reasonable excuse, we'll call it. Okay, so you're abandoning the Yeti idea now. Now we're going gulag? Well, I mean, that's just something that you can truly explain and would make sense why they would want to cover it up and just close the case as soon as possible so that people don't look into it. Okay, or maybe the Yeti escaped from the gulag. (laughs) Mind blown. Now, there's also this secret agent theory. This is uh, also known as the Cold War spy scenario. So, author of the book, Dietlov Pass, um, he introduces the theory that Simon Zolotoryov, Simon, Simon? <laughs> Simon Zolotorov, Zolotoryov um, and Alexander Kovaltov and Yuri Krivonshenko were KGB agents on a mission to uncover a cell of CIA agents. They were meant to deliver radioactive samples and take photographs of the Americans, but something went wrong and the CIA agents killed the entire group. Mm. I mean, think about it. Zolotoryov, this guy was a 38-year-old bachelor. He joins the group last minute. He was a veteran. Uh, he had combat experience. He fought for the NKVD, which was like the precursor to the KGB. Mm. And he's got this weird Dermyuzaya tattoo. You know, what the fuck does that mean? Exactly. This could be some crazy KGB shit that we don't know about. Maybe Bucky Barnes is out there just fucking marking this. <laughs> yeah. Now, also Alexander Kovaltov. Uh, before transferring to the physics technical department at UPI, had worked in Moscow as a laboratory assistant in a top-secret scientific facility, an unnamed atomic institute. Hmm. And Yuri Krivenchenko, as we UAI. said... UAI. Very similar to UPI. Yes. And Yuri Krivenchenko, as we said, he worked at the notorious Chelyabinsk <laughs> Chelyabinsk 40. Uh, this was that nuclear disaster we talked about earlier, occurred in 1957. So let me lay this one out for you. Ski Trek is going on. Now, unbeknownst to the other seven members, these guys got to de- deliver these radioactive samples, take pictures of these CIA guys. Uh, and this was all under the guise of an ordinary hiking expedition. So they meet these guys February 1st. Something goes wrong. Um, the uh, the CIA guys realize, hey, this is like some sort of like, um, what do you call it? They're duping us. 
Double agent. Yeah, something like that. And boom, conflict ensues. They get a fight, um, fucking brutally massacre the entire group. I mean, what are we thinking here? Possible? Could be. That's definitely a uh, leave no trace situation if you're talking <laughs> CIA. Yeah, and then CIA, boom, they cover up their tracks and they stage it out. Yeah. Maybe like you were saying earlier, like they stage the bodies to look like, oh man, something crazy happened and we got lost, right? This could explain the knives. Hmm, it could. Back in the tent, you know? You think these CIA guys would be smarter though, leave a knife on the body? So one uh, actually ties in pretty close to my theory. This one holds the most weight for me so far. All right. Well, here, what's yours? We'll get into that. You want to get into that now or get through some of these other ones? See, my theory is, remember our first Yuri who left the party? Okay. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Here's what I'm saying. He claims to head back, lets the group get a little ahead of him, follows these guys because he's either a KGB agent or, and I think this is the real situation here, this guy, is, he's just sick, man. He's jealous that there's two other dudes named Yuri in the party, so he goes to kill them. <laughs> then he's jealous that he's not. the names. <laughs> yeah. He's just a jealous dude. He's mad that he's not the leader of the party, so he kills Detloff. And then he's not getting any action. There's no game on this mountain, so he's not scoring with the chicks, so he offs them too. Can't leave any survivors. Kills the other guys. Boom. So Motive, this, so he's just like okay, so he's just like a serial killer maniac, and he covers his tracks and makes it yeah. look crazy. Now, yeah, but how about the blunt force trauma? Maybe he set off like a bomb or something. Maybe in the cave, pushing people over the edge. I don't know, man. Maybe the blast creates the cave, and then he dumps the bodies in it. Mm. But then you're talking about the bodies being all positioned, like he's trying to make it look like an accident. It wasn't him. He yeah. goes back to quote unquote help. Okay. All right. So you've got a brand new theory there. Maybe they'll pick this one up on the website. Hey. Okay. Now next up we got uh infrasound. Now, from what I gather, I guess this is like what people tend to believe the most. Um, this was from the book Dead Mountain, the Untold True Story of Dialov, passed by Donnie Icar. Uh, this was the book I originally read in doing research for this one. Now, he introduces the theory that the decision to cut the tent and flee is the crux of the whole mystery. Like, if we figure out that, we've got the case cracked. Um, he says everything before and after the event is explicable and logical, and it was the act of near madness to abandon their only shelter that is critical in understanding the case. So I guess around the 1960s, scientists identified a naturally occurring phenomenon called infrasound. Um, this is like wind, just like wind moves over sand dunes, it produces a low humming. Uh, wind colliding with different topographical features can produce low-frequency waves ranging from audible to subaudible. Uh, tests on infrasound subjects have induced powerful feelings of nausea, panic, dread, chills, nervousness raised heartbeat, uh, breathing difficulties. So this sound... Sounds like COVID-19. This sound can really fuck with them, you know? You guys remember uh, <laughs> the league when Taco comes up with those horns that hit the notes so low that you shit yourself? <laughs> yeah, this is exactly <laughs> like that. Okay. That's what it made me think of. And even Hal, um, 
our own father was talking about when he was designing some weapons for the uh, Navy. Like he oversaw some project that was like this low frequency, I guess, basically ray gun that you shoot at people and it just fucks them up. Mm. Like, you know, makes them just freak out. Um, now, Donnie believes that the wind phenomenon called Carmon Vortex Street could have produced a terrifying, powerful sound, which is proven to induce irrational fear in humans. Fierce winds that go through this pass could have been warped as they hit the blunt surface of the slope that they were on, and the wind, which would have been blowing in a straight line, could have twisted into a series of small and powerful tornadoes which would tear down either side of the pass, creating a deafening noise, even if they missed the tent. So this is sounding like a fucking banshee, basically? Yeah, basically it's just a really loud noise, and he says this is the only logical explanation for, like, the way the bodies were found. So, you know, this maybe caused them to tear out of there. They're all fucked up and disoriented. Um, Also, from 60... To 61, several airplane crashes took the lives of nine pilots and geologists who were sent to the area. Uh, For a time, flights were banned in the region. And among the more recent victims of the mountain was the crash of a helicopter in 2009. Uh, Pilots, basically these pilots were ignoring the uh, no-fly zone. And they survived the crash, but they couldn't explain why the helicopter went down so quickly and without any warning. So mm. it could just be the the way that wind moves in the area. It's just a fucking weird place that just, you know, people tend to freak out. Freaky. So what are we thinking with this? I mean, this, I think to me, this still kind of doesn't explain the blunt force trauma injuries. Unless the shit was ripping down the slope, like you said, and freaked out. And maybe out. caught some of them. Yeah. Okay. And but then, then that still doesn't understand. I don't understand, like, they're just, like, end up in a fucking den covered in snow. That well, see, so here's what I'm thinking. Maybe this, they hear the noise, they freak out. Some of them get fucked up in the wind and, like, they're fucking all fucked up. Like, ah, oh, my chest, you know, my head. Uh, maybe... The two Yuris are making the fire. The other three are like, hey, we're going to dig out a den, help these guys out. We got to get cover. Yeah, but think about, okay. So they move them into the den and then they're like, hey, we're going to wait out by this fire. Or maybe they're like, we got to make it back to the tent once the wind dies down. And then they like died of the elements one by one going back. I mean, I'm definitely thinking that the people that died in the little den probably weren't digging it out. You know what I mean? Because those are the mm-hmm. guys that were the most fucked up, correct? Yeah, I mean, they died of... Besides... Uh, they didn't die of hypothermia. They died of those injuries. Yeah, besides the guy that was closest to the tent that had all the head injuries, right? But he also died of hypothermia, not the head injury. But those are the only people that had those kind of injuries, correct? Yes, that is correct. <clears throat> so maybe the old Yuri's dug him a grave, threw him in there. Okay. Okay. Now there's also uh, ball lightning. This was this one comes from Nigel Evans. Is um, this similar to Great Balls of Fire? I don't think so. Like our Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, that's um maybe similar to that. 
Um, and this is actually from a forum on the site that I mentioned earlier. Now, this was like, I guess the Mansi people blamed the golden orbs for the tragedy uh, as they repeated um, sightings of lights in the sky. Um, there's even photos on the group's cameras of possible aerial lights. Um, this is possible that they fled the tent due to an occurrence of ball lightning getting close to the tent. Um, so maybe they see this stuff. It freaks them out. They head to the tree line. They light a fire waiting for this ball lightning to go away. And then possibly maybe the two deaths by the cedar, like maybe a lightning bolt struck the cedar or something. Uh, maybe they die like this because I think it was saying like one of the Yuri's, he had like a burn on his leg and his hand and some of his clothing was burnt. That plays into my theory that we'll get to later on. Yeah, so... Also, maybe like the four in the ravine, they die of, from an explosion near a den, which I guess would have like, it could have been a rare occurrence that like the ravine got struck by lightning and they get blown to shit. Um, <laughs> you no, know, I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm just kind of spouting out this theory. Uh, and then, you know, this theory suggests that maybe the three surviving members they try to return to the tent and boom they just you know they don't make it back and it's just too cold so what are we thinking about this theory possible or or just seems too out there uh this one's a little, a little too out there a little too out there for me okay okay well, if that one's out there, check this one out. So this is a demon's theory. This one actually makes more sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is from uh, Valentin Yakimkino. Yakiminko. Valentin Yakiminko. Um, he wrote a blog post called Fallen Angels Exposed, in which he examined some of the developed photographs from the water damage photo found around Zolotoryov's neck. Um, they depict bright lights, and he says, and I quote, These photographs are a clear indication of a fallen angel or higher-level demonic involvement, several of which appear to capture a partial physical manifestation of a higher level, uh, a shape-shifting demon. He describes some of the photographs as having a small but very bright object being a bright dot which is typical of a fallen angels and or higher level demons manifesting in orb form and people mistakenly refer to these as aliens or ufos or like as we said adam foo fighters ball lightning or ball lightning so possibly some demons up there i mean we know the mansi people are saying don't go there mountain of the dead <laughs> and as Niklaus would say you don't want to fuck with the demon <laughs> exactly <laughs> And these Russian people, they did just that. Maybe they didn't intentionally do it, but I mean, definitely more possible than ball lightning. <laughs> All right. Now, how, now, going off of ball lightning, Foo Fighters, T-Bag, we got aliens. Well, hey, go back to the demons real quick. That definitely could be an explanation as to why they got scared out of the tent why they're trying to climb up a fucking tree and why there's no trace of any uh, footprints or anything left behind. Mm. Man, so just some crazy Russian demons 
Okay. Fucking shape-shifting, killing these fools, <clears throat> not leaving any marks on the body. Yeah, this is like Anastasia and like, you know, Rasputin's little like vial. Anastasia? That was not a demon. Yeah, dude. Ras- <laughs> like It was like the ghost of Rasputin, remember? And he had the little dick vial. Dick vial? Dick vial. Yeah, it was like a phallic symbol for like Rasputin's cock. Jesus Christ. And it had the little green demons in it. You, you know what I'm talking about in the film? I don't remember. Like the Disney film? Dicks. No, it wasn't Disney. Demons. It was it was Amblin. I mm. thought you were talking oh, about yeah, the you're Disney right, you're film. Right. No, not Disney. It's done by Amblin. Common misconception. It's a cartoon though, right? Yeah, cartoon film yeah, in yeah, Asia. Yeah, yeah. It's like the little demon guys fucking around. Maybe it's like that type of shit. You know how you have the little bat guy as a sidekick? Okay, okay. Maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the it maybe it it could be some I mean, we know Russian lore is heavy on the demons. So possibly some demons going on up there. Maybe. Now, how about this one? This is this is right up our alley. This is aliens. Um, so as we said, there was eyewitness reports uh, circulating of bright, unexplained lights seen in the night sky. Now, this is the final photograph taken by the group, uh, which is an indecipherable blur. Now, a lot of people say, hey, maybe this could be one of the lights they were taking a picture of. I mean, this could be anything, you know, this could be taken in, in someone's pocket or something. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. Baby. <clears throat> but another hiking group, which was camping about 30 miles from Dietlov Pass on the same night, gave testimony of seeing strange orange orbs floating in the sky around Dead Mountain. Demons. Uh, Lev Ivanov, who was uh, one of the investigators of the incident, said this many years later. I suspected at the time, and I'm almost sure now, that these bright flying spheres had direct connection to the group's death. Now, in, the, in 1990, he published an article, which is where that quote is from, The Enigma of Fireballs, where he admitted that in spring of 1959, under pressure of A.P. Karolinko and his deputy A.F. Yeshtonkin, um, he withdrew various key materials from the case that involved the true cause of the accident being fireballs or a UFO sighting. Uh, Now, he stated in this article that when he and the other gentlemen examined the scene in May, they found some young pine trees at the edge of the forest which had burn marks. Uh, There was no epicenter. This once again confirmed that heated beams of a strong but completely unknown, at least to us, energy were directing their firepower towards specific objects acting selectively. Um, so, you know, they're, they're seeing these burn marks high up on these trees. This is just like we said. Hitting them with a laser. What episode am I thinking of, T-Bag? <laughs> Foo, fight, me, Foo Fighters. Check out our Foo Fighters episode. What did they? These were some of the first reported UFO, UFO sightings on record in World War II. And what were they? Orange orbs, just like they report here. Now, possible, and this was over in the European theater of the war, correct? Mm, yep yep i mean hell what are we thinking possibly that i don't go with the ufo theory but i mean it definitely 
holds a little bit more weight than the avalanche theory or any of the other ones we've discussed so far, except for the, uh, I'm thinking I'm liking the military one so far. Maybe that could explain the, uh, gray goo found all over the first body. Alien jizz? <laughs> They're probing him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it, yeah. Like, this one holds some weight because there's these other sightings, but again, like UFO doesn't necessarily mean it's aliens. That could have been mm-hmm. anything. They just didn't know what it was. Uh, because about the same time, Soviet armed forces did launch several rockets. That just ain't what you were used to seeing. From Bankaner Base. Uh, now, although the military claimed these rockets landed north of where the group was, several geologists, 40 meters... Uh, or 40 miles from the mountains, saw some glowing and pulsating orbs flying in the direction of Dead Mountain on the alleged day of the tragedy. Going off of this, um, now this is what I'm like, I think this theory holds the most weight. That's why I've got it last. This is my kind of grand theory, um, the secret weapons testing. Now, Keith McCloskey in the book Mountain of the Dead suggests that the students stumbled upon a military testing area and were either killed by Soviet soldiers in the area or were scared out of the tent by the sounds of nearby explosions. Now, what's going on around this time? 1959. Cold War, baby. Cold War. And what's happening in the Cold War? We did a a few episodes on it. Space race, baby. Space race. You got Nazi scientists from Paperclip working for nuclear both. Nuclear weapons testing. Yep. Nuclear weapons. Um, you know, so we know like Russia was just as, if not more advanced than us. I mean, they had first dog in space, first guy in space, first woman in space, first satellite in orbit. So their program was, was vastly secretive. Um, and it was super advanced. So it's, it's no secret. These guys were probably doing loads of secret shit out there in the wilderness of Siberia, you know, in the the Euro mountains. (laughs) Um, and who knows what happened? Like there, there's also this radiogram. Um, this was sent to the headquarters of the initial search party. And it, it reads like this. Radiogram to Solman, three, two, 59. 1830. The main mystery of the tragedy remains the exit of the entire group out of the tent. Stop. The reason could be any extraordinary natural phenomenon, such as the flight of a meteorological rocket observed on the 1st of February in Ivedale by Carolyn's group. Stop. Tomorrow we will continue the search. End. So we know that they were launching something out here. Now, there's quite a few theories that the hikers were killed by some sort of secret radioactive weapon. I mean, as Rob said, nuclear weapons testing. You know, we've got the strange appearance of the bodies at the funeral. They got the tan skin, the gray hair. We got the radioactive clothing. Maybe like the sound of these rockets drive them from the tents. They're panicked, half clothed. Um, Some of them die of hypothermia. Others take shelter and then... They get blasted to shit in the tree line by like some of these bombs, you know, maybe some of them freeze. Um, They try to get back to the tent. They fall victim to hypothermia too. There could have been multiple blasts. My only thing with that is if there were fucking blasting bombs out there that killed them, wouldn't there be evidence of that somewhere nearby? 
Well, or are you thinking they went off somewhere away from the camp, got blasted, and then taken back to the camps and dumped there? Well, yeah. See, you got to put on your government goggles. Mm-hmm. If the government's doing experiments, they're not going to say, yeah, it was us, our bad. <laughs> they're going to cover that all up and maybe stage the event. So I think going off what you were saying, yeah, maybe they were blown up somewhere else and then kind of staged to look like that. So the whole thing staged? Maybe they didn't rip out of the tent? Maybe they just got fucking blown up. They came back to their campsite, make it look like an accident. Oh, yeah, that could be, or it could be like, um, I mean, either one of these, like however you play this theory, I think it makes the most sense. It's like, nothing to see here. Maybe it's a combination of all these things we just talked about. You know, maybe um, Mm. they do hear the bomb, they tear out of the tent, the bombs like are falling and blow up some of them. They gather the bodies and are trying to take care of them and try to make it back to the tent, die of hypothermia. Bomb, 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 bomb. (laughs) <laughs> and I know, you know, we've got the lights in the sky. We know they're doing weapons testing uh, at this time. I mean, this area, they probably got loads of secret tunnels and bases here. You know, we said they got gulag camps. Um, the coroner said the injuries by the three in the ravine are consistent with bomb shock waves. And then boom, it's fucking Soviet Russia. You think... Um, with an emphasis on the boom. Yeah. Is homeboy going to let this out? Um, who do we say it was? <laughs> Khrushchev? He's not going to have the blood of these college kids on his hand. So he just says, hey, make this look like an accident. Cover this shit up. And and there's even more evidence of a cover-up because when the first bodies were found, there's no forensic expert present to observe the position or the overall condition of the bodies, the way they were discovered. You've got the inconsistencies with the knife. Uh, There was even inconsistencies with a pickaxe. Like some say the group only had one pickaxe, but there was one found outside the tent, one found inside the tent. Mm. Um, There's also inconsistencies with the camera story. Like some people say the camera around Zolotoryov's neck was a surprise when they told the surviving Yuri about it. Like he was saying, oh, there was only four cameras. And then we get this fifth one because they found the others in the tent. But some people say, you know, he knew that everybody had their own camera. It's just all kind of hearsay at this point. It's all about the hearsay, Um, she said. But I think the most, like, uh, I was reading on this site, and the craziest thing is the conclusions in the first five autopsy reports were just copy and pasted. (laughs) So they all read the death of, like, here's the one from Doroshenko's. And it reads, the death of Doroshenko was caused by low temperature as evidenced by swelling of the meninges, a sharp replenishment of the internal organs, overflow of dark blood of the heart cavities, and the presence of Vishnevsky spots on the gastric mucosa, uh, frostbite fingers of the limbs. And each one of these, this is on all five, it just reads the exact same on all five of the autopsy reports. Um, There's no forensic survey of the scene that was carried out and photos. This is what one of the investigators said that photos were uninformative and they are closer in execution to artistic shooting than to criminalistic evidence. So like typically crime scene photos are done a certain way and these ones just kind of seemed more staged. So maybe, Mm. hey, this is a sloppy Soviet cover-up. This is where we get the inconsistent evidence. 
Um, and this leads us to all these different conspiracies and nobody knows what the hell happened up there. I mean, what are we thinking of this theory? Definitely the way that the bodies were found and laid out seems like bullshit to me. Now you said you have a theory that kind of goes off some of this stuff. What do we got? Well, uh, the, un- the, uh, natural force I'm thinking is ripping through this area. You guys ever heard of the Siberian express, AKA Dolph Lundgren? Ripping through there, <laughs> causing uh, immeasurable damage to these motherfuckers. Oh my god! So you think Dolph Lundgren's out there training, <laughs> training yeah, for Rocky, Rocky Four, and he just fucking punches. <laughs> and he was wearing boxing gloves, and that's why we get yep. no external damage. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> wow, just out there cracking these fools. Okay, I'm kidding, but my realistic theory though. Is that is basically like uh, cobbling, as they say, of a couple of these theories. So we find the a couple of them have burns on their bodies. Yes. Yes. And there's evidence that they had a stove in the tent. So I'm thinking these guys are cooking a nice dinner. They're getting ready for bed one night. Boom! S- something happens with the stove. Smoke starts pouring into their tent. They're like, oh, we got to fix this. They go to start fixing the stove, get burned, freak out, cut out of the tent because they don't want to, you know, inhale too much smoke. They go running out of there to get away from the smoke. Boom, run into the Yeti. Yeti's out there waiting for them, just throwing them around like fucking ragdolls, eating their eyes out, plucking their fucking tongues out. Got these Soviet guys out there patrolling, looking for escaped gulags. They're like, what the hell is this? They find the Yeti tracks. They don't want that shit getting out there. They cover it up. Okay, okay. Now, the only thing with that is, based on, like, the food found in their stomachs, they're they're pinned in an ad. They died six to eight hours after their last meal. So it's like they wouldn't have been necessarily cooking and torn out of there because— no, I'm saying, I said after they're getting ready for de- they're getting ready to lay down, go to bed. And they just left the stove on all along? Yeah. It's fucking 20, 20 degrees <laughs> below zero. <laughs> they're not gonna get oh, I mean, let's go ahead and put this out. Okay, I mean they probably possibly. got the fucking door of that stove open, dude. I'm sticking with the weapons testing. I'm thinking that's the most logical. Um But I mean, does my theory hold any weight? No? I mean, it it could explain some things, but I just I don't I don't put too much faith in the Yeti. No one ever does. <laughs> Teabag, what are you thinking? What's your most plausible theory? See, I'm I'm still hung up on the tent being cut open from the inside, and that seems to be something everybody lingers on. Again, we're talking about this government cover up. This could have been some guy that went in after and was like, "Oh, yep, here, got to make it look like they they were spooked." Yeah, I mean, I this open. I think whatever it is, it could have been fucking anything that scared him out of there, but I think there definitely was some type of cover-up aspect to where yeah. Russia was just like, hey, just rule this as like compelling natural force, just some bullshit, make it look like an accident. Um, but, you know, the case was actually reopened in 2019. Um, Russian officials reopened it for a new investigation uh, that said they would only consider three theories – an avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane, and the new case was once again closed with only a vague conclusion 
that no criminal activity was afoot. I thought um, hurricane season was over. I um, mean, if I'm being honest, how many hurricanes have hit Siberia or Russia? <laughs> the middle of Russia, dude. I mean, who know, maybe they're talking about this infrasound, these tiny tornadoes or tiny hmm. hurricanes or something. I maybe they had some slurricane. Snow hurricane. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, but I mean, they closed it again. So nobody knows what happens. I mean, we can speculate all day long, but I think, I think truly the cover up. So, you know, the, the evidence is inconsistent so we can prod around all day, but I don't think we're ever going to get to the truth of this one. Sounds like we need to go out there ourselves, boys, do some research. Now that's up to y'all. I mean, I don't personally want to go where over 19 people have died. And a place called Don't Go There by the tribes people. <laughs> Maybe we just drop in on a helicopter, do a little day trek. Well, I mean, there you have it. You know, let us know if you guys have any theories. Um, you know, TLDL, what do we got? You got uh, nine Russians went hiking one day and never came back. And how they disappeared. That's a mystery. So there you go. I mean, as I said, you know, let us know what you guys think. If you guys have any theories we didn't discuss um, for citations on this one, the main source I used was dietlovepass.com. As I said, this website's got like everything on it. You can look at all the photos. Um, be warned, they're pretty gruesome. But check it out. It's got all the theories on there. Um, the book Dead Mountain by Donnie Akar, um, also used for a lot of this research as well as spikedonline.com, Dietlov Pass, A Chilling Mystery Solved, and allthatisinteresting.com, Dietlov Pass Instant. So check those out if you want more information on this and on that. Also, just wanted to throw out their uh, semi-related movie that we watched the other day, Devil's Pass, if you're interested in uh, seeing a little fictional spin on it. And they kind of botched the real information, which sucked. But, you know, overall, uh, if you're interested in the uh, the whole Dietlov incident, it's kind of cool to check out. Yeah, but all in all, not a great movie. So uh, be <laughs> warned that going in. I mean, not a lot of low-budget horror movies are that great. But I just figured, you know, sticking to the content, pretty uh pretty interesting watch uh with that being said though thank you guys so much for tuning in uh if you want to hit us up on our website podcastfromouterspace.com we're on the gram podcast from outer space or you know shoot the old email podcastfromouterspace at gmail.com and with that for all you video game buffs out there there's actually a video game based on this series of events called Colot. check that out shout out to our sister podcast speaking spooky and uh, thanks for all the fish. Ski, 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 ski.